People are people. You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos one episode at a time. It's been a few weeks since the last Pada Bing episode treatment, juggling a lot. But I'm back today, and I'm going to march through the strong, silent type, single-handed. Fucking Valerie over here. I've got more than 16 Chechen rebels worth of things to say about this episode, so let's get into it. The guy you're looking for is an ex-commando. He killed 16 Chechen rebels single-handed. Get the fuck out of here. This episode originally aired on November 17th, 2002. It was written by Terrence Winter, Robin Green, and Mitchell Burgess based off a story by David Chase. Alan Taylor directed it. HBO synopsis. At therapy, Tony likens himself to the sad clown, but Melfi doesn't buy into his melancholy portrait. Meanwhile, Carmela drags AJ with her to Furio's house to offer decorating tips and companionship. Polly puts the finishing touches on some free artwork, and Christopher finds himself at a crossroads. The title references one of Tony's famous lines, the strong, silent type. Of course, referring to Gary Cooper. Whatever happened to Gary Cooper? The quintessential man's man. Only this episode, the focus of this expression is a woman, as we'll see. We open on Chris doing drugs. A film called Bear Shooters is playing on the TV. We see a gorilla, or is it a bear, in captivity. Either way, we are that gorilla slash bear in captivity. Slowly and painfully watching and existing in a space where we witness Christopher methodically, unreversibly destroy himself. His arc has taken shape, but it's the wrong kind of arc. We distinctly hear two prescient lines from the TV. It ain't over yet, and somebody's going to get something they ain't expecting. Great context for this first cavity of the episode. Chris sits on Cosette, Adriana's dog, and you know she's dead on the spot. Cosette just got something she wasn't expecting. And that's just for starters. Another casualty in season four. Next, Carmela gets a haircut. Another casualty. And something we weren't expecting. Neither was Tony. She checks it in the mirror, prepping for Furio. She even checks those teeth to make sure there's no stray items in there. Benny's at the door. Not Furio. And the way she looks at Benny as he passes through the door is an acknowledgement to us that she's now been jilted multiple times. Again, nothing has happened between them, physically, or even verbally, quite frankly. Yet she still feels spurned. Unrequited love over here. Note that Benny's walking gingerly. Nervous to be in the inner sanctum, maybe? Like getting called up from the bench to start in place of an all-star? Maybe he's thinking about dotting up that stat sheet to vie for more playing time. Come on, Alex Caruso. 
You got this. Caruso! You didn't know he had that in his bag, did you? Note Carmelo walks past him coldly. No coffee. No seat at the table. No how's your mother. No warmth of any kind. Tony comes down. Notices the hair. Takes him a beat. I thought we agreed that you were going to talk to me first if you were going to do something to your hair. To quote Roe, this guy's living in another century. And one might say Carmela's extending this fingernail bird feed tension from a few kitchen scenes ago. How many buttons is she going to press before he pops? Maybe, but also equally plausible, she's trying to ready herself for this new life raft she's prepping. Back on old TV, Christopher's passed out to a movie called The Oscar, a movie that interestingly was narrated by Tony Bennett, when Aid comes home. She calls for Cosette and discovers she's dead. So does Christopher, for that matter. She must have crawled under there for warmth. Are you fucking crazy? Christopher's officially bottomed out, like Jackie Jr. And this episode puts him in a doghouse of his own, as we'll see, that interestingly has a name that translates to freedom. But first, the guys are playing pool. Tony's asking about Ralph, simultaneously playing dumb and fishing to see what the word on the street is. Is there anything that could be traced back to him? Any dysentery in the ranks? Was Christopher right about what he said last episode about guys talking? Chris brings in a package for Tony. It's the painting he had made with Valentina with Piomai. Note the way they look at each other when Georgie says Tony's calling Ralph again. Smoke. Obfuscation. Hypocrisy. Sprinkled with a little family trust. Tony can't bear to look at the painting. That poor creature. Him and the horse. He storms out. That's a forfeit. That's our money. And moments later, Tony calls Silvio from the car. I never want to see the fucking thing again! Next, we get some Alitalia stock footage. High fidelity over here. What came first? The music or the misery? Furio's back from Italy. And what's the first thing he sees? Burger King. And that's the first symbol in multiple American references this episode. Stay with me on that theme as we move through this. Then he sees Heaven is a Spa, a possible reference to his shooting up the salon to collect the debt back when we're first introduced to him for something Chris wasn't handling well enough for Tony. It's clear from his body language, he's missing home, he's uncertain about being back, he's uncertain about Carmela, He's uncertain about whether to take his uncle's advice and stand down. Meanwhile, over at Vesuvio's, Sil, Patsy, and Alley Boy are enjoying a meal together. What's your Ralphie? Fucking Bermuda Triangle? In prepping for this, I was sad to learn that the myth of paranormal disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle has largely been debunked. In fact, 
That region of water isn't even on the list of 10 most dangerous waters for transport and shipping. Yet, interestingly, as recently as 2017, a commercial flight was forced to change course because of, quote, electrical problems occurring while over the triangle. It was Turkish Airlines Flight TK-183. Also, that same year, a private plane disappeared from radar and lost radio contact. Wreckage from the plane was later found inside the triangle. I know. Quasimodo predicted all this. Alley Boy, flexing that Berezi character trait again, repeats Silvio's words, we're off the record. They suspect Tony whacked Ralph over a fucking horse. Allie conveys to Patsy that Silvio would be the first guy to pull Tony's plug. If that ever did happen, though, would Silvio really kill Tony because Tony killed Ralphie over a fucking horse? At this point, it's more than safe to say that Silvio would never orchestrate a move on Tony. Disagreement over the handling of Patsy notwithstanding. Next, Tony's sitting with Ralph's kid, alone, staring blankly. Ronnie comes in. He gets up and hands her an envelope. Another day, another dollar. Too transactional? Is it enough? Does she suspect anything? Maybe. She was smart enough to leave Ralph, but then again, she got mixed up with him in the first place. Either way, Tony's cold, like Jay-Z in a beef track. Transactional. Next. In a get that dirt off your shoulder kind of way. Now, over to another bit of dirt on his shoulder, potentially. Furio. He comes to the house. He's going to wait in the car, though. But he came bearing gifts from the old country. Style note. Carm square patterned shirt. She's boxed in. Also, her hair changed again. Did Tony get to her? Or is she rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic? Furio needs to watch a couple three YouTube videos on wrapping gifts. Not for nothing, but it's safe to say most of us could. Meadow gets a Dante's Divine Comedy pendant or some shit. Here's a quick Italian literature survey audit. Divine Comedy is a poem about the afterlife divided into three parts. Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. Very allegorical. Also, Rodin, whose sculptures have been referenced on the show and this pod, made a sculpture inspired by Dante's work. It's called The Kiss. Nice full circle. Also loved the detail of Meadows' Italian spelling. M-A-E-D-O. True story, first time I saw that, I thought it was an Italian word that meant something significant, or it was code for something. AJ gets a chili pepper-looking thing with a man with a top hat on top. Gobetto. He's good luck, we learn. Gobetto and the chili pepper thing is also called a cornetto. And in some camps, it's a protector against the evil eye. Furio wears one around his neck, too, if you notice. Autopsy, 
nicely extends the inquiry of the meaning of this trinket to suggest an alternative meaning, that of cuckolding or the husband of an adulteress. It's a word that Dr. Melfi teaches us, and it could be a wonderful thread to Tony here, but for the fact the gift was intended for AJ. Also, it's an opportune time, since I said chili pepper, to append red hot to mention the red hot chili peppers, whose 1991's Under the Bridge is especially relevant here, since that's where Christopher is more or less. Note that Carmela got nothing. She stands there, perplexed, forlorn, while Furio's crying in the car, though he wipes that shit right quick when Tony comes down. This character tack on Furio, I gotta say the first time around, from shooting up the massage parlor and collecting past due pickups to this, never saw it coming. Mickey Goldmill was right. Women weaken legs. Yeah, but I really like this girl, you know? But let her train you! He tells Tony he's sad for his father. Instant classic Sopranos moment. All right, but you gotta get over it. Cut to Tony crying in therapy. Crying about the horse, no less. Perfect setup. He references the sad clown trope again. So I thought that merited some evaluation. Definitionally, the sad clown is a person who is totally insecure at heart and uses comedy and expressive communication to fool himself and others into thinking he's confident. It became a psychological doctrine of sorts back in the early 80s, where it was originally described as lighthearted humor in the face of inner turmoil. A brave front. Sign me up for the next Sad Clown Club meeting. Any San Severinos out there got any brochures? We learned that Tony upped his dosage on his own. Great exchange. Well, you two don't have to trouble yourselves because I doubled my dosage. I don't want you taking 80 milligrams of Prozac. You kick it up to 80 for a week, 10 days. Just pull back on a stick, get the nose up. Then you duck back down to 40 before the limp dick thing shuts in. One, that's ineffective. Two, it's not a treatment for grief. Also, note the sword on Melfi's lapel. Another protective talisman, perhaps. But also symbolic of power. The ability to play offense or defense, depending on what the situation calls for. It's sad that you've lost something that you love. That being said, it is a horse. What the fuck is the matter with you? The only other time you've become this emotional in here, it was those ducks. That was different. That was a whole different thing. They were, they were ducks. Is it different? You haven't grieved in this way for people. Your mother, your best friend. Can't I just be sad for a horse without some touchy-feely, Freudian shit component to it? Those goddamn ducks a thematic reminder of Tony's proclivity for animals over humans. Tony tries to justify his worldview. It's like some fucking asshole stuck in a whole human race. Another misanthropic tell. A characteristic I found interesting, at least. When T blows his nose, he had a handkerchief at the ready. It was an unplanned cry, and I don't peg him as the type to have one of those in his pocket. But hey, 
Nobody knows anything. Next, Melfi adjusts herself. She crosses her legs, which prefaces this line. Don't jerk me off. This is me you're talking to. The ongoing low-grade sexual tension between the two of them persists. Then Tony says... My wife prays to God. What kind of God does this shit? Cut to the words, Carmine Lupertazzi. Is he talking about him or the same God that made Adriana La Serva? I'll take the latter. We learn that the feds put Aiden Chris on a mailing list for a place called Hazelden, a rehab clinic, which made me wonder, what's in it for San Severino and the feds if Christopher gets help? What's the play? Does Chris holding it together keep that conduit for intel open? Is it as simple as that? An interesting character reveal. San Severino is more like Tony than she initially let on. She's got more empathy for a dog passing by than she does for aid. Yes, she and Tony are both card-carrying members of Ducks Unlimited, but they don't know it. Paulie and Sill are waiting in the rain for Chris. They just put the finishing touches on some TV boost. On the waterfront never looked so good, Paulie says. Besides Carl Malden, whose nose hairs looked like BX cables, On the Waterfront also starred the godfather himself, Marlon Brando. And most of it was filmed in New Jersey, in Hoboken. It's currently number eight on AFI's top 100 movies, many tiers ahead of Rocky, and shockingly, Godfather 2. Oh! Next, we have Chris driving through a rough neighborhood, casing for drugs. Note the number eight on the windshield of his car. Like a cat or something, he's got nine lives. Almost getting mowed down by the Bevilacqua brothers, yes, I know they're not brothers, was one life. Is he about to get that number on the windshield cut to seven? He gets jumped, his car gets jacked, and he's beaten with a xylophone. Remember back when I mentioned his jacket wore him versus the other way around for Tony a few episodes back? Christopher looked like a boy compared to him. Symbolic, then, that he's getting beat down with a kid's throwaway toy here. An eighth of skag, slang for heroin, cost 500 back then, we learn. For the uninitiated, which I certainly am, heroin was first synthesized back in the late 1800s. But opium dope goes as far back as 3000 BC, in Mesopotamia of all places. The 1874 version was derived from morphine. Today, a variant of it is actually medically prescribed in some jurisdictions under the name diamorphine. Active users of heroin describe its effect in one word, euphoria. It has historically been especially popular with musicians, including one close to my heart, Kurt Cobain. Finally, current street prices around the U.S., are as high as $200 per gram. Okay, now that we know a little more about heroin, though I still don't know what it smells like, let's skip over to a family dinner at the Soprano house. Everybody's a mess. Tony's uncorking a bottle of wine, and the cork gets stuck. I think it's safe to say we've all spent 
a disproportionate amount of time trying to fish out straight cork from a bottle when pouring glasses for everyone and trying to act suave about it. Carm leaves a bag of seasoning in the chicken. What's wrong with you? Is he still reeling from the new hair? Tony tries to get sympathy from Carm about Payomai. Crickets. Then, Tony tries to get Hugh's sympathy. Anybody who'll give it at this point, right? Next up, a guy named Eddie brings Chris safely home. Rocco DeMeo over here with the jacket. Chris is badly beaten and bloodied. Aide tries to encourage Chris to go to recovery, and he beats her three times. Transferred aggression. Takes money out of her purse and walks out. His low point just got lower. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> Cut from one dumpster fire to another. Polly sees the pie on my painting getting burned and runs to save it. Is it a coincidence that Ralph's nemesis rescues Paiomai from another fire? I think not. 25 to 30 G's he estimates that painting's worth. Being honest, the highest picture in my house. Question to ponder. Does he try to sell the painting if he doesn't get caught with it later? Okay, back to Aid. She's at the Soprano house. Tony and Carm get a good look at what Christopher did to her. Christopher did this? He hit you? What for? He was high. Love that they both said that at the same time. Also, Carm exclamation points it with the effortless, disgusted head shake. Tony calls Christopher, and one of the Puerto Ricans that stole his car answers. Yeah. Who's this? You called me, maricon. Where's Christopher, asshole? Tony looks more concerned about this than he did after seeing Adriana's face. He's not concerned so much about Christopher or Adriana, but about the fact that the phone, evidence, is in the wrong hands. Carmela suggests an intervention. Tony's immediately against it. The cat's already potentially out of the bag or compromised with Christopher's phone at large. Finally, last but not least, the color palette combination on Adriana and Carmela contrasted with Tony's white robe is Kandinsky-esque. Cut to Polly hanging the painting he rescued. In doing so, is he hanging himself? Food for thought. Then he sits on a recliner with plastic wrap. The sound design of his weight settling into the plastic wrap is incredible. We get it here and at the very end of the episode. Quite frankly, I'm down with making that Polly's signature nonverbal sound effect. Who's with me? This plastic wrap shit got me wondering when and how did plastic wrap on furniture ever become a fucking thing? Turns out, it was very much an immigrant thing. For Puerto Ricans, Jews, African Americans, Chinese, Irish, and Italians. And this plastic took hold of furniture pieces everywhere in earnest during the 60s and 70s. And the MO for every ethnic group was the same. To maximize the utility of their investment. A modern-day equivalent might be screen protectors and elaborate cases for smartphones. Finally, 
Did anybody catch the boxing match Polly was watching on the TV? If you know, please tell me. I couldn't pin it down. Okay. So Carmen A.J. Gosi Furio, under the guise of home decorating ideas. Fucking Pinterest over here. Carm gets her fix, and A.J. being there keeps it kosher. Furio acknowledges that he didn't give Carmela a gift and scrambles to find something. He comes up with balsamic vinegar. That means something. It's not incidental. Balsamic is said to be restorative or curing. So here, Furio is saying to Carmela, I can fix you. Fix you. Cue Coldplay. He mentions the balsamic came from Modena, to which my reaction immediately was, Massimo Bottura over here. Furio tells her he belongs in Jersey now. And Carmela's eyes, which couldn't possibly get any bigger, get bigger. Carmela reassures him that life is good. The home, the girlfriend. But he quickly shoots down the second part of that statement. And Carm's eyes, yet again, expand. At this point, she's a full-fledged Bob the Minion over here. His relationship with Jessica, we learn, ended because there was no communication. That's what love is built on. See. This got me somewhat thinking about the importance of communication in a relationship. What's the conventional wisdom today? Who better to dispense this wisdom than Tony Robbins? Oh! According to Tony Robbins, communication is all about letting your partner know you're their number one fan. Hmm. Interesting. At least in one respect, it's safe to say that my communication with The Sopranos is on steady footing then. Fuck you on a boutonniere. And to those of you listening to this, your relationship with The Sopranos is on solid ground. And if you're lucky, you'll remember the little moments. Like this. That were good. Carmen Furio's communication is cut short by AJ who needs to hit up Comp USA for a magic stick. I'm guessing that's the thumb drive and not the TV tuner product that was around during the same time frame. An ode to Comp USA, the supreme store for nerds like me. What the fuck happened to Comp USA? Let's put on our M&A hats for a moment. Comp USA was a specialty retailer of computer and tech products in the 90s and early 2000s. They pioneered the Apple Store within a store model. And I used to hover around those kiosks like Ginny Sack around her candy stash. The long and the short of it was that the fucking internet, coupled with better performing competition like Best Buy, made them sell and restructure and reorganize 
numerous times before finally being dismantled and sold for parts. You steer the ship the best way you know. Sometimes it's smooth, sometimes you hit the rocks. In the meantime, you find your pleasures where you can. Yes. 2012 was the year CompUSA left us forever. And the truth is, I probably didn't know that because I was still mourning The Sopranos all those years later. Fucking internet. Now that I've taken a moment to gather myself, another great sound design moment. The pressure cooker in Furio's kitchen. Timely. Things are coming to a head. For AJ, Carmela, Furio, and CompUSA. Note that AJ gives Furio a look at the very end. So fast, in fact, that freeze-framing barely catches it. He looks at Furio like he knows. Even Carm sensed it. She brings it up to Ro later. This is one of the few times where AJ rises to the level of Meadow's intuition or awareness. Then, awkwardly, almost subconsciously, Furio purses his lips as Carm exits the house, almost as if he were blowing her a kiss. Lot of balls. Okay, enough with the forbidden love, princess bride stuff. We get it. Pack up the world's smallest violins, put them in a box. From Furio's smoke, we go to Svetlana's cigarette smoke. Tony comes to see Junior. Svetlana's there, fashioning her own version of the American dream. With Ritz crackers prominently displayed behind her, few things are more American than that. Another symbol of America in this episode. Little detail that I caught way late in my Sopranos journey. Tony calls Bronca, the crooked nurse, Bronco. Good one, Tony. Totally missed that one until closed captioning was turned on. We learn that Junior takes an afternoon nap. Fucking Winston Churchill over here. Tony offers Svetlana some of Furio's family wine. He's literally doling out the stuff. Probably because if he doesn't do it fast enough, it too will turn into his family's balsamic vinegar. Tony and Svet toast a drink together. Again. First time we saw this was in Proshai Levushka for Livia. The fucking symmetry. Svetlana is unconvinced with this vintage of wine, so she drowns it in ice. She's not the first one that's unconvinced, by the way, nor is she going to be the last. Tony checks her out on two levels. Physically, and for her complete ownership and prowess of matter-of-factness as a character trait. Furio goes to watch the Bloomberg, ostensibly to work on an American dream of his own. This, while Tony noshes on some of those Ritz crackers mentioned a moment ago, too symbolic. In fact, I'll burst a blood vessel if I think about it, and don't forge ahead. Svetlana's making a website for her business. She's got books and papers and notes everywhere. I love this visual. And anytime I have a conversation with someone about doing something or starting something or getting something finished, I reference this moment. The only thing missing from this scene is a Nike swoosh imprimatur with the words 
just do it underneath it. Tony's very taken by Svetlana, as we all are at this point. He mentions her fiancé, Bill, partially because he's fishing, but also because he's conveying a little envy. He's sitting right in front of a strong, silent type. Gary Cooper. Or Geraldine Cooper, in this case. People are people. He tries to explain her or justify her, saying that her leg is some kind of excuse. And she calls him out on it big time. And it's precisely where you start to fall in love with her as a character. Oh, my leg. Of course. I don't think of it right away. There are worse things. What a wonderful and true and distinguished sentiment. Back over to Pauly, he's sweeping. This is the first time we've hung out at his house with him, and we're getting the full effect. All of a sudden, something about the painting sets him off. I've always wondered what it was. Is it that it's Tony too on the nose? Is it a constant reminder? Is it that satanic black magic? Sick shit? Following him around ever since he went to visit the medium? Is it both? Back over to Svetlana. In the background, she's comforting Furio while Tony and Junior talk. More wine gets poured. At this point, that fucking wine is getting as much screen time as a lead character. Junior is weighing in on the Christopher situation. You got only one option. A dog you love catches rabies. You put it out of its misery, Anthony. That's heavy. He's openly suggesting whacking Christopher. The future of this family. To which... Tony clinks glasses with Junior. The first foreshadowing of Christopher's potential death. We get a sequence of classic Junior lines. First, he takes a dig at Tony. You go on trial like me, you won't sleep at night. Junior's discreetly slipping in the fact that his nephew sees a shrink. Whereas he's old school. Then... In the midst of conversation about killing the future of this family, Junior keeps staring at the wine. Comedy in the midst of chaos. Like butter on bread, cream cheese on a bagel, or basil on Carmela's ziti. Also, you think Junior knows that Tony intends for Christopher to be his successor? I wonder if Junior could down that drink straight. No chaser or if it would smell a little bit like Furio's wine. Reminds me of people's feet. But that's somewhat appropriate, right? Or to be expected. Wine grapes were traditionally smashed with human feet. Kind of makes sense. Tony mentions a guy named Dominic Palladino, a De Niro lookalike, if there ever was one. He's the B&E guy, which I took as shorthand for breaking and entering. Another descriptive term for him is a real juicer. Shorthand for someone who tries to bite off more than they can chew, maybe. According to Tony, Christopher's problem is treatable, and Dominic Palladino's the guy to get it done. Also someone that they can trust with some of the family secrets 
family business. Then, Junior mops things up with an elegant piece of writing. Me with the competency hearings, you with the head shrinkers, this one in rehab now. Tony's response? Drowning a bad glass of wine. Cut to a new soprano venue, Rose Back Deck. Carm's crying to Roe about how she didn't get a present from Furio. Carmelo's trying to get permission of some kind from Roe. She mentions her fling with Steve at the gym. Great title for a limited series. Carmela says, I feel like my life is slipping through my fingers, then I will never be happy. Roe parries, doesn't take the bait, and instead offers sage wisdom. If you haven't slept with him yet, don't. And don't go over there anymore. At this point, it's worth noting that Carmela is too smart to believe that Furio himself is the answer to her life slipping away. As far as I'm concerned, he's fungible. Any life raft will do. Sometimes they fall out of the sky. Other times you have to build them, you know, like Tom Hanks did in Castaway. But here, Carmela is taking the path of least resistance with Furio. I can't help but believe that if there were a better option, emotionally, financially, spiritually, she'd take it. She's smart. Furio's a distraction. She's not going to let everything she has with Tony and the kids slip away. Not for a lesser version of her life. Point being, her sit-down with Roe sounded a lot more like infatuation than love. Cut to Silvio's house. I'm only saying that it's his house because the first thing we see is his wife serving the guests. Makes sense. But you can't really be sure whose house it was. Note that Furio's wearing a Tony shirt that Tony would wear. And he's directly behind Tony, looming. And unlike Christopher and that oversized jacket of his, Furio is wearing the shirt. He could be boss, is the signal. Maybe, possibly, potentially. All he has to do is whack Don Finucci, like Vito Corleone, in two. Another point of note. Carm takes over the snack tray duties and bypasses Tony, and instead offers some snacks to Furio. Another point of note. Notice two Furios in the room. There's a mirror, and he's being reflected. Not only is he looming over Tony, but there's two of him now. Finally, note that Carmela is sitting in front of a painting that represents freedom and calm. A representation of her future self with Furio? Or maybe a signifier of things as they are right now relative to what they could be if it actually all goes down with Furio. Dominic gets into the procedure of an intervention. We discover that Polly has a history with him and is an impressed. We also learn that he's been to prison and he's a recovering alcoholic. Not really much there in terms of establishing your credibility, right? He tells us that an intervention is a non-judgmental confrontation, a care-frontation, to which I wish Tony would have replied, you're going to get cute with me now? 
interventions became a thing in the 60s. And I've had mixed results over the years when looking back at the data points of relapse rates. Also, A&E has a series on interventions that started back in 2005 and has new installments as recently as 2019. The series is so popular and heralded, in fact, that Funny or Die has parodied it on numerous occasions. So has South Park. And Eminem has even incorporated the interventionists on the series by name in his lyrics. The track is called The Monster. Polly flexes and disses Dom multiple times. Dom must have cost him some money somewhere down the line. What else could it be? In prepping for the intervention, Dom asks for a list of specific times Christopher's drug use impacted each person directly. What a wonderful exercise for us too, right? Like, cite the specific moods or immediate aftermaths of watching Christopher unravel. Remember where you were on the night of type thing. Shout out to the night of, by the way. Great. So he's taking advice from a two-time loser. There are no losers in recovery. Next, Tony goes to see Johnny Sack in Brooklyn. Valentina's with him in the car. And we get a beautiful city backdrop. Tony and Valentina start off discussing the tough road ahead for Ralph's kid. And she pivots to what she plans to order at dinner. Medallions of veal. Ms. Empathy over here. Johnny Sack cut into Tony's dinner plans to let him know he's pissed about the real estate deal and not getting cut in. Tony, perhaps still on a short fuse because of Piomai, pun intended, legendarily tells Johnny Sack to take a hike. You got nothing coming to you. You or Carmine. You sure you want to go down this road, Tony? Love the gravelly tone in Johnny Sack's voice. Tony accelerates off, leaving Johnny Sack to literally eat his dust. There's a bit of symmetry in this scene. Johnny Sack will get payback on this front a few episodes down the line. A no-look lob pass from LeBron to AD to flush it home. Next, we see Pauly take the painting to get redone, like Napoleon. Fun exchange. He's rather portly to be Napoleon. Not Napoleon, exactly. That guy is the same guy from Departed, who yells, Keep on calling me Babu. is sing, motherfucker. Shout out to my ancestry. Okay, Tony comes into the bing. Everybody gets up. He throws his hands up for everybody to sit down, sit down and relax. Fucking formalities already. Tony wants to cut to the chase because he has come up with his own version of a Rodin sculpture that's going to solve this Ralph problem. Tony throws Johnny Sack under the bus in regards to Ralph. Tells everybody about Carmine, the HUD thing, probable cause, left, right, and center. Tony's playing chess, seeing all the permutations at, like, internet fucking speed. The strain with Johnny Sack is a way to sell to his people that he might have had something to do with Ralph. It rinses away the undercurrent about Tony possibly whacking Ralph over a horse. Tony calls for a full investigation. Polly seems nervous. Is he going to be exposed? If we're keeping score here, there are two things he desperately wants to keep under the rug. One, 
what happened at Pine Barrens, and two, his dalliances with Johnny Sack. Cut to Chris. He wakes up and walks out to his first intervention. What the fuck? What's going on? Have a sheet. Christopher, hey, I'm Dominic. I know you don't know me, but... Uh... Yeah, you're the guy who uh, broke into Stu Lennon's that time. You stole all those pork loins. Yeah, but that's not why I'm here today. Ah, the beef with this guy makes sense now. It can be traced back to Satrials. So, the intervention begins, and Adriana goes first. She unfolds her list for Christopher like an Emmy speech. She gets into how he can no longer function as a man. And Christopher says the one thing I say when anyone recommends I try. Just try to watch another show. Jesus, is this fucking necessary? When Adriana says that you can no longer function as a man, the cut to Polly's face is classic. He looks like Kyrie Irving from a few nights ago when he watched Garrett Temple dunk. Google it. Okay, Adriana continues and mentions what happened to Cosette. Until that moment, Tony was fucking checked out. But right then, stop the record, everybody off the dance floor, you killed the dog? He flips out. But not before his, at this point, signature trademark. The clarifying question. Why'd you hit Adriana? Why'd you kill a dog? Masterful writing. Showing his pathology, rather than telling you about it. Once again, he's more moved by what happened to an animal than a fellow member of the human race. His Tony lamenting the loss of an animal face is all time. I gotta suffocate you, you little prick. Hold on to those words, guys. Put them in your Christopher folder for later. Men, I've never been able to get over the writing on that one. Still, this thing with the dog. How could you not see it on a chair? You're getting emotional, Tony. That's because I know what it's like to lose a pet. Then everybody takes turns going to town on Christopher. But he's not having it. Oh, listen guys, to you. Guys, whoa, 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 whoa. We said non-judgmental. Fuck that. Let him take his medicine. Seriously, Paul, you want to talk about fucking up? Watch it, Chrissy. Why? I thought we'd be honest here. You got some balls, you know that? All of you. You want to talk about self-control? How about you, Sil? Fucking every slut you got working in the place when you got a wife and kids at home? Guys, guys, whoa, whoa. Christopher. Oh, you, Paulie. Yeah, remember last winter in the woods with the Russian guy? Christopher, I'm fucking warning you. There he goes, Mr. Type A personality. We are here to talk about you killing yourself with drugs, not my fucking personality. That's right. I'm going to kill myself? The way you fucking eat, you're going to have a heart attack by the time you're 50. Oh, no. oh, wait, sit down. You're talking to the boss here. Good, maybe someone will smack some goddamn sense into him. Great, my own mother. Fuck you, you fucking whore. Oh, he lets everybody know that they're all part of the same hypocrisy. He insults everyone in the room, even his own mother. And that's what pushes Polly to the edge. Right in that moment, perhaps thinking about his own mother. Polly punches him. Chris and Dom both down for the count. And then Benny gets into it. He's kicking the shit out of Christopher. 
I thought Benny was his guy. In season three, when Christopher's made, that's his guy. His entourage, his troop, his home team, Rocky Five. Next stop, predictably, the hospital. Tony's about ready to give him an intervention through the back of his head. And it's worth noting that Tony's very godfather in this moment, very Brando, talking to Johnny Fontaine. You can act like a man! What's the matter with you? We learn that Patsy's going to take him to rehab, and he's going in, and he's staying in. Then, Tony goes back over to Junior's while he's taking a nap. Nice timing. He pours another drink for Svetlana. She's lounging, sans prosthetic leg. This visit was unexpected for her. He pours her a drink like she's a guy. A strong, silent one. He brings up the Mets, spring training. He's teasing out where her fiancé is. He starts flirting. You know, I was thinking about you. Oh, so you're drunk already. No, no, no. I was just thinking about the way you are. I always have this little smile, like you got your own private joke. <laughs> Love that line. She gives a little smile. He starts to flatter her. And then she dispenses some more stoic Eastern European wisdom. That's the whole purpose for people like me, to inspire people like you. It's grim, but true. You have everything, and still you complain. You lie on couches and bitch to a psychiatrist. <laughs> you got too much time to think about yourselves. But then she compliments him. You're not so bad. You have many fine qualities. You're big and strong. She takes a long drag from her cigarette. There's shadows, there's smoke. Tony, right on cue. You should see yourself now. In the shadows there, with the smoke all around you. You're beautiful. He touches her, they kiss. In an episode where Carmela and Furio show Olympic level restraint, Tony Soprano lets it fly before Svetlana can bat an eyelash. But it's one of the most intimate and well-crafted scenes between the unlikeliest of people ever put on a screen. The dialogue, the visual presentation, the propulsive, dynamic storytelling. Cut to the Eleuthera House, which means freedom. There's also an island in the Bahamas of the same name, but spelled slightly differently. I know that because a friend of mine lived on it for several years, around the time of seasons five and six of The Sopranos. Christopher checks in with the receptionist, who's reading a book called A Course in Miracles. It's a book that came out in 1976 and purportedly provides a framework for people seeking spiritual transformation. The author of the book says the words were dictated to her verbatim by Jesus. Somebody call Bill Maher or Richard Dawkins fast. I knew that book was a fucking scam. A little recent piece of relevance for that book, a former presidential candidate, Marianne Williamson, talked about this book with Oprah back in the day, and it predictably led to a massive spike in sales. So Christopher learns the house rules on this joint, No phone calls for the first two weeks. No caffeine or substances containing caffeine. 
Uh, he's trying to say goodbye to Adriana, but the receptionist keeps chiming in. Very similar to the way the world seemingly chimes in when you're trying to say goodbye to a loved one for an extended period of time at an airport or a train station or a subway or bus stop. I know. Ethan Hawke and Before Sunrise over here. Back to Tony and Svetlana. It's implied they rounded the bases while fiancé Bill was at spring training. Tony says he's willing to see her again as if it would be an honor and a privilege for Svetlana to have him. Love that little detail. As if it were an honor for Svetlana to have him again. But her head's on a swivel and she breaks it off with an uppercut for the ages. You're a nice guy, but I got my own problems. I don't want all the time to prop you up. She used him. I love that. Incredible. Strong, silent type, and then some. Next, we're on Furio playing romantic Italian music. Reminiscent of the way Artie looked in his motel room a few episodes ago, when he was unable to recoup his investment from Jean-Philippe. From Furio's house, we go to Tony's house. Tony yells for Carmela from a dimly lit kitchen. Symbolic, right? Ah! Are the lights slowly going out on his home life? On his marriage? He discovers a note. She's at the Charles Hotel, and AJ's at Patrick's. The message is clear. She won't be propping him up today, either. Then we see someone making pasta. For a fleeting moment, you think it's Tony, but it's Furio. And he has an elaborate as fuck pasta setup. Colanders, wine, parmesan, freshly ground. Intercut to Tony where we see a microwave and milk. Then we get a final look at Pauly, who's watching the Red Sox versus the Yankees after OCD adjusting the picture of Napoleon to his precise satisfaction. Regularness of life all around, but a clear indication that a doomsday scenario is imminent. The intercut between Tony, Furio, and Polly again, very Godfather 1 and 2. Like both of those endings, and in classic Soprano style, this ending is very open-ended. But the seeds that have been planted episodically are starting to flower. The eve of battle draws near, and the wartime drums playing us out to black tell us to get all the chinks out of our armor and brace for impact. Or white caps, at the very least. That's all I got. Thanks as always for listening. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.